Hello and welcome to the 119th FIS Freight and Commodity Podcast on Wednesday, 22nd February. I'm Mo Pani and I'm your host. You can call me Mo. And as a reminder, this podcast is here to bring you guests who update you on the commodity complex. You can also stay up to date with our daily commentary and weekly analysis on everything going on by signing up for our app FIS Live. And you can also follow our Twitter page at Freight Investor or find us on LinkedIn. Today we've got a slightly longer episode as we have a special guest speaker with us, Eric Hoffman from Engine Online. He's here to talk to us about uh, the bunker market and alternative fuels. So we're just going to get straight into it. And just to give you a quick bio about Eric, uh, he's a journalist and content manager at Engine Online. He has spent the last five years writing about the shipping and marine fuel industries. Uh, he was a senior reporter for August Media, and he is, as he described, the force behind Engine's news desk. Uh, Eric's team reports reliable and timely information about the global bunker markets. How are you doing, Eric? Yeah, good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you. We've had so many great conversations, and I thought your brain, we needed your brain and perspective on here. So thank you for joining us. No problem. Glad to be here. Yeah, so I, I, I gave people a, a brief bio about you, but uh, it would be great to also hear from your side, uh, just to remind people who you are, what you do, and, and who Engine Online are. Yeah, right. so I'm a, I'm a content uh, production manager at Engine. Um, so Engine is a bunker information platform. Uh, it's, uh, it's a place where you can see live bunker prices that are, uh, benchmarks generated from indications and from offers and stems. So, uh, real price information coming in from, uh, from, uh, buyers, sellers and traders in the market. Um, and, uh, unlike some other publications that publish, uh, prices, we update ours every 10 minutes. So, you know, the, the bunker market is, is rapidly evolving, especially in the major bunker hubs. And we try to mirror that with having um, live prices. Uh, there's also quality information data so that you can uh, not just see how much, uh, like how much uh, you, can, you can come down on price to get your bunkers, but you can also see the quality of various suppliers um, in various ports. Uh, and get an idea of of the full spectrum of uh, of uh, your bunker purchase. And and just briefly, I know you've you've now talked about Engine, uh, but Engine Online, I know, are part of a bigger group. Is that correct? It's, uh, it's a separate uh, company. So uh, we have uh, uh, procedures in place for handling sensitive data. So the the data that is stored and managed by people at Engine. Uh, isn't shared on. Um, so, uh, for example, Navigate will uh, be a, a user, like people at Navigate will be users of Engine, just like other ship owners are users of Engine. Um, so there, it's uh, within the group, but it's uh, on the data side, it's separate. So just to get straight to the topic, uh, I know you specialize in uh, uh, shipping and marine fuel, and I'd like to get your view or 
to see how you think the EU sanctions that will action on the 5th of February on refined Russian oil products, how are those likely to impact fuel oil and gas oil supply in European ports or even further globally? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a massive question, uh, Mo. Uh, I think uh, we, we wrote a piece on it uh, quite recently trying to answer some aspects of it. But uh, um, the, the reality is that there's going to be, like after 5th of February, there were, there's going to be no uh, direct imports of refined Russian products to European ports. Um, European uh, bunker hubs uh, like the ARA uh, were like uh, incredibly uh, reliant on these imports. Uh, so some of the status of the ARA as a transshipment hub has relied on easy access to Russian uh, refined products from the uh, Baltic Sea Russian ports. Those shipments have, have dried up. They've, they've been phased out over of a month, so it's, it's not something that happens immediately with, with all the volumes. But uh, with the hard deadline of 5th of February, uh, there's going to be no more. So considering that about 40% of the ARA's fuel imports came from uh, Russia before the, the uh, Putin's invasion of, of uh, Ukraine uh, last February, so a year ago, you know, you think of these numbers and you... you like you immediately assume that oh it's going to be uh, uh, you know it's going to be a massive shortage uh, how can how can Europe replace those volumes but what we saw actually without sanctions in place last summer from August to November there were no Russian fuel imports to the ARA so it means that even without you know hard sanctions in place Europe and and uh, European bunker hubs like the ARA can survive without Russian products. There's a lot of refining capacity in, in around Rotterdam and Antwerp, uh, Amsterdam. There is refining capacity on the on the rest of the continent, and there is also access to fuel from the Middle East, in particular, uh, and occasionally also from uh, from far, further away places. Uh, so on on the fuel oil, we think fuel oil is going to be fine, especially considering that European refiners will will max runs. Uh, in the, in the summer, leading up to peak uh, summer driving diesel demand, uh, that will naturally yield more fuel oil. We think there's going to be more of an issue with displits. So, because refiners are looking to max diesel, and diesel is the product that's going to be short uh, because Europe has been incre- incredibly reliant on on uh, Russian diesel, uh, that is naturally competing with gas oil. There's the Many market participants that we've spoken to and, and, and suppliers around Europe expect there to be a diesel gas oil squeeze eventually, but that it will only materialize in the third quarter of the year. So importers have been eager to build stocks leading up to the 5th of February sanctions. ARA stocks, for example, were brimming just before the sanctions came into effect. And these stocks are then going to be drawn as there's less access to uh, sort of short-distance uh, gas oil imports. But it all relies on how much Europe is going to import from China, from India, from uh, South Korea, from Japan. And we saw actually in the week, in the first week of February, that uh, imports from all these countries and the US and Saudi Arabia uh, rocketed. So imports were higher than they've been in, in uh, over a year, right? 
so it means that there's willingness to import from further away. That will naturally feed into the price. So there will be price pressure on, on gas oil and the slits and LSMGO. And we think that it uh, will uh, contribute to widen the so-called high price spread. So the the spread between BLSFO, which is, uh, you know, a blended product will land to some extent on this slit and lighter uh, and, you know, sweeter products like, like this slit and VGO. Uh, and then at the other end, HSFO, which there will be uh, plentiful supply of. So many questions out of that. You yeah. say that 40% uh, fuel oil, I believe, earlier on came from Russia to Europe, and you say that wasn't an issue. Where did majority of the alternative supply come from? Yeah, so um, what we saw was from uh, closer to home. So the ARA uh, imported uh, about 41% of its fuel oil uh, from uh, Russian ports, especially, especially uh, Baltic sea ports, uh, in 2001. Uh, in uh, last year, we saw uh, that switch more to the UK, Denmark, Germany, so, you know, closer to home. Also the US occasionally, Middle East, Iraq, Saudi Arabia. So, so there are alternatives. It's just about getting them uh, with a short voyage. And, and obviously there's going to be more pressure on, on those short-traveled uh, uh, imports, which will bring the the price up, so it, it, it will it will add some price pressure uh, at at some point across the whole of the the bunker spectrum. So HSFO, VLSFO, and and this lit. Uh, but but again, we think this lit is is going to be the the main. It's going to be the main squeeze on on distillates. And so you say the the main squeeze on distillates and. You talked about a lot of places that could be alternatives, such as China, Japan, U.S., and Saudi Arabia. Do we see any indication from data or your experience where you think most of that will come? Uh, yeah, so uh, we looked at the data in the first week of February, and then we saw imports from, from Russia come down from about plus 30%, so about 36%, I think, uh, in the last week of um, January. Uh, and then in the first week of February, when, when imports had phased it out, it all came from Saudi Arabia, Japan, uh, South Korea. It was, it was quite an even split between between those countries, but uh, with Saudi Arabia as, as a top uh, location. And that is something that we saw also leading up to the sanctions, that the share coming from Saudi Arabia gradually increased. So it means that uh, European importers will have looked at you know, they, they know this deadline's coming up. They've looked at alternatives. They've secured those uh, either contracts or spot volumes and then, uh, you know, taking them uh, uh, taking them on in, in a, like, uh, way in advance of, of, the, of the sanctions. And last question on what you said before we do move on. You, you mentioned how you thought this dynamic could influence HFO uh, prices. Uh, and why is that? So, I mean, naturally, when there's longer ton miles of a product, so it has to be carried on a, on a tanker for a longer distance, there will be higher freight costs. Higher freight costs will feed into wholesale prices. So you're looking at cargo prices or barge prices in the area naturally being higher. It hasn't got so much to do with the 
delivered bunker prices, although obviously when it, when it feeds through the supply chain or, or across the different lot sizes, it will eventually have an impact on bunker prices. But when we, when we talk about delivered prices, we, we talk about more about uh, availability of delivery barges and, and, and demand at the moment where you know you see high delivery uh, premiums uh, over cargo or, or barge worth. Um, so I think that is the that is the sort of the, the background. All prices will feel pressure. Obviously, when there's less product around, uh, you have to travel further. There will be price pressure. But again, I think agents uh, fall because there will be uh, a lot yielded from high refinery runs. Um, there will be more uh, available. Uh, thank you for sharing your views on the EU sanctions and just moving the focus to ESG, uh, environment and social governance. Um, as that focus continues to grow, are there any impacts that that we can see in the physical banker market? Uh, yeah, I think I think that's another massive massive question. Uh, most or it's um, I mean, when you think about ESG for for shipping. Uh, I mean, you, you mostly tend to focus on greenhouse gas emissions, right? Uh, for shipping, which I think accounts for about. Three uh, percent of the world's total across industries. So shipping share is about three percent, which is similar to to Germany as a country and much closer. The danger, of course, is that if other industries decarbonize quicker than shipping, then uh, then that share is is going to increase. And uh, and the business in sort of business as usual perspectives, it will increase. So uh, if if shipping is slow to turn around and um, you know, uh, power industries or aviation or or the uh, vehicle uh, and uh, motor vehicle industry, then uh, we're going to see shipping become more of a, a laggard and and, uh, and and bigger emitter as a as a share of the total. Uh, so regulators have been making steps towards carbon emissions, especially in the EU, uh, and we saw last year there's a major breakthrough at the EU level uh, where. Uh, you had uh, shipping included in the EU emission trading system for the first time, so that's the cap and trade system that's going to come into play. There's also the the fuel EU maritime regulation, which is more about switching to alternative fuels. So you're going to see increasing uh, levels of mandatory uptake, so starting from 2% and then going all the way up to 80%. Uh, that is still under being finalized as a regulation between the three part EU bodies. So we're gonna we're gonna know more about the final legal text on that uh, this year. But uh, at the global level, uh, there's still some you know, you're still some way off the regulatory incentives needed to drive real change to the physical bunker supply and, and trading market. So um, you know we we think we're seeing um, uh, you know, some some ship owners making investment into vessels that can run on various alternative fuels, but that's uh, investments largely for the future. Uh, you currently only have the IMOs, uh, CI, so Carbon Intensity Indicator uh, regulation that came into force this year that is going to stimulate uptake of, of some biofuels, especially among older ships. And and those uh, those ratings and those uh, reporting requirements are going to get more strenuous towards uh, 2030. 
when uh, the IMO has a 40% carbon uh, intensity reduction target compared to 2008. So you're going to see then, again, mostly um, ship owners with older fleets uh, having to, to turn to biofuels or carbon capture systems on board or other fuels to, to, to improve their ratings. And so in line with ship owners investing in alternative fuels, have we seen any trends uh, resulting from the targets? Um, so any trends, whether it's with scrubbers or geofuel use or movement away from HSFO or alternative fuels, have you spoken about any trends or themes? Yeah, so on, on scrubbers, we start with that, which is not an alternative fuel per se. It's, it's using HSFO, which which was uh, has been around for for decades, right? But uh, the the trend towards scrubber uptake slowed down uh, severely after after IMO twenty twenty. So there was about you know exponential growth leading up to from two thousand seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and then it slowed down after um, the first year. Um, so in the two most recent years, you've seen up like increases of about 5% of the scrubber fitted fleet. Uh, that's expected to decline to 1% in 2025, uh, according to DMV data. And then, but we do, we do see scrubber uptake um, for, for some types of vessels, particularly larger vessels still. So we, uh, and, and uh, the, the high fire spread has been favorable towards, towards scrubber economics. Uh, so you, you're looking at about 250 in Singapore at the moment, uh, having come from about 350 at, in the second half of last year. So those are huge, huge spreads uh, and, and clear um, scrubber, you know, favorable scrubber economics that will that will bring uh, payback times way down. Uh, so so those incentives are there. So the, there might be uh, another jolt in the in the order book for. Uh, for scrubber, um, scrubber fits the vessels, yeah. Yeah, so on, on dual fuel, I think dual fuel vessels can be LNG and conventional fuels, it can be methanol and conventional fuels, it can be other, you know, potentially potentially other fuels as well. On LNG, we saw for those vessels that had dual fuel engines, they ran on LNG until that wasn't uh, any profitable anymore. Uh, they, they ran and then they, you know, with the Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine last uh, year and, and soaring uh, gas prices, you then saw LNG trade at about five times the price of, of VLSFO. Uh, and then for those those vessels that had dual fuel capability switched to VLSFO. I mean, now we've seen that, that price of, of uh, LNG come down again to roughly VLSFO levels. So that means that you... Uh, again, have a more uh, equal option between between the two fuels. And if you if you want to cut your emissions, and uh, LNG is about twenty five percent emission reduction potential compared to VLSFO and other bunker fuels, uh, conventional bunker fuels, then you might switch to LNG if the, if it's the same price and if, you know if uh, it's equally accessible. As soon as gas prices move above of um, conventional fuels again, um, they'll be switching switching back. So it will depend on, on the outright price, I think, and the availability. I see. And, and you've mentioned um, 
LNG a lot there, and it it sounds like there are alternative fuels that are already used for geofuel use. So your your answer to my next question is going to be interesting. So uh, based on that, what would you think um, the future dominant fuel will be for the shipping industry? Could it be LNG? I mean, there's ammonia, biofuel, methanol. I I don't know hydrogen maybe as well. Uh, what's your opinion on this? So yeah, we we recently did a series of uh, articles on the various alternative fuels, sort of background pieces, also for us to learn because I think we're all in a at a point now where it's a, it's a learning phase for everyone, and it's it's hard to pick a winner. You know, things things might change rapidly in the in the coming decades. But what we thought initially was that this is going to be dominated by LNG and biofuel. Now we're seeing uh, in in the past year we've seen a range of ship owners investing in methanol and especially container ship uh, companies like uh, Maersk, obviously, with the, with, the, with the headline orders, also sourcing, uh, you know, an, an offtake agreement with about 10, 10 suppliers around the world now to, to source fuel for the 19 container ships that uh, it has an offer, not on, on order. And then others followed, CMA, CGM, uh, you saw uh, Costco, uh, you saw HMM in uh, in South Korea uh, follow uh, with with methanol container uh, ship orders as well. It's it's been facilitated by engine manufacturers that are making methanol engines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Bortilla, Man, uh, Energy Solutions, they come out with methanol uh, fueled engines for larger and larger ships recently. So. When Maersk put in the first order in, I think, 2019 for a 2020-foot equivalent feeder vessel, then uh, the the biggest engine that was available at the time was the one that Man uh, Man Energy Solutions had. It could power that vessel, but it couldn't power bigger vessels. Um, And now you've seen... uh, Maersk Maersk and others order much, much bigger vessels. So 16, 17,000 uh, TEUs uh, capacity vessels are going to be powered by methanol at the beginning, like mid, middle of the century. No, it's the middle of uh, the decade, sorry. And that's going to stimulate more demand because it's going to show that it's possible. Uh, I mean, if you look at methanol, that requires a, a complete engine, uh, you know, a, a complete engine change. You need uh, either to install a new methanol engine uh, from the start or have a methanol ready ship that can install uh, or retrofit uh, an engine eventually. Uh, so that's hugely costly, right? Mm-hmm. Same with ammonia. Um, ammonia engines don't exist yet. They're going to come out for larger vessels as Mortilla uh, is going to have a have an engine coming out at the, the end of this year and uh, launched for the market by the uh, first port next year. So that's going to uh, allow ship owners to invest in ammonia. So it's, if, you, if you look at just methanol and ammonia uh, against one another, uh, methanol has got a bit of a head start, right? But ammonia is really thought to be the fuel that's going to be available in the most abundant volume. So we, we think that, you know, looking at the forecast of, of demand, we think that methanol has a head start but that uh, ammonia eventually is going to be the the lead candidate towards 2040 uh, because uh, it is available in more abundant volumes. 
in the short term, uh, obviously we've, we've seen uh, LNG and biofuels. So LNG again has uh, limited capacity to reduce carbon dioxide emissions is about 25% compared to conventional bunker fuels. It's not going to get you anywhere near the net zero, right? Biofuels has capacity to reduce carbon emissions by about 80 to 90% compared to conventional fuels. Uh, so when they are blended, and, and biofuels are typically always blended, they're blended in a ratio of 20 to 30%. And the whole of the biofuels blend uh, then has like 16 to, uh, to, to 27% CO2 savings, which is comparable to LNG. So for in most cases, in most blends of biofuels, it's not going to get you to those those more stringent emission targets. And you know, only a few ship owners run their fleets on 100% biofuels um, for that full 80 to 90% CO2 savings. Uh, one one example is Samship in the in the, the Netherlands, uh, which runs uh, uh, its its whole fleet of uh, of vessels on on 100% uh, biofuels. Um, but it, they're, they're they're few and far between those uh, those ship owners. So yeah, I think. Uh, Sum it up. I think LNG and biofuels are here now. They're available now. Methanol is also available now. It's available in over 100 ports. Ammonia is not available. But as you build out engine technologies for ammonia and as you build out supply capacity and deal with safety requirements and, and, and device guidelines and train crews on handling uh, ammonia because it's toxic uh, in very small concentrations, then you're going to see that share increase towards 2040 and 2050. And uh, I, I think I know the answer to this question, but briefly, where would you say the best place to get data and monitor uh, the market share and all these facts and figures that you talked about on fuel oil? Uh, yeah, so I mean, okay, so fuel oil, right? Um, that's, uh, uh, you'd, you'd have to get it from a variety of sources. Um, like I say, for engine is that we... We use a, a wide variety of sources and try to put it in a in one platform. So, you know, we have you know a partnership with uh, with you guys at FIS. Um, you have forward prices. You have expertise in uh, fuel hedging, all kinds of uh, derivatives trading of, of fuel oil. So, by combining different data sources into this one platform uh, engine. Uh, you get a you get a full view, but obviously we rely on ex- the expertise of the likes of of you guys at FIS. And I know you you touched on it a lot based on you, you talking about the dominant fuel. But where do you see bunker and fuel in the next five ten years? Briefly as well. Um, uh, apologies if this is a duplicate question, but I just want to see your long term vision here. I think over the, over the next five years, you're going to see more methanol fuel vessels again entering the, the market. We saw, you know, we, we saw a few stems at the end of last year in, in Rotterdam. I think it's going to be a, more of a feature this year already. Um, so methanol is going to feed in. I think depending on the gas prices, LNG will make a comeback. I think the, the damage has already been done to, you know, the, the import capabilities of, of Europe, so you're not going to see that that soaring gas prices again. You 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 already made the switch away from from Russia uh, for most countries. 
So you're not looking at the same supply shocks on on um, on the on the gas oil and uh, well on, on on gas and and conventional fuels. You're going to see more of a slow phasing in of alternative fuels, but again without any hard uh, deadlines like the the IMO 2020 deadline where things happen like the the change happened uh, overnight. Uh, this is going to be a, a slow, gradual process to to multiple fuels, and I think it's going to put a lot of, um, of, of pressure on all all market participants in this market. You know, in in uh, in bunkering and, and shipping to uh, get up to scratch on what the alternative fuels are, uh, what they offer, how they relate to regulations. So you're going to rely to some extent on experts, but you also have to uh, educate yourself. So. In 10 years, I think we're going to be at a much more stratified bunker market uh, with multiple fuels. Uh, you're going to have ports specializing in some alternative fuels over others. Uh, you're going to have um, uh, particularly ship uh, and vessel types that are moving between uh, only a limited number of ports uh, going also to collaborate and dictate what fuels are available in those ports. So, for example, a, a ferry company, if it invests in hydrogen fuel cell uh, ships, then it can stimulate supply and infrastructure development in those ports that it that it goes between. So it will be a, a very sort of uh, multifaceted like picture with, with um, a very different approaches from different vessel types looking at the tramp shipping sector more like bulk carriers and and uh, especially tankers they don't always know where they're going to go uh, in the in the foreseeable future right so they need that optionality between ports uh, and and fuel uh, options all the time right so mm. they're going to i think they're going to be slower to to move to alternative fuels than container ships and ferry companies and and uh, you know shipping companies with fleets on more predictable routes thank you for that perspective and vision um that's what i wanted people to hear because i know we talk about these things separately so wrapping up i know you are a speaker at our shipping bunk and carbon outlook event in copenhagen uh, on 9th of march uh, for those who don't know you can get more details on our LinkedIn pages, um, uh, feel free to register if you're around. And I'm sure Eric will expect more from you there. Um, where can people reach you or see your work or what you do or get more insight um, from you? Well, you can, um, we can just uh, look up uh, engine, uh, online. If you want to reach me directly or look at our work, you can add a forward slash and then uh, jot down news. So that's engine.online forward slash news. Um, then you'll see all the stories from our, our team of reporters. And you can also get in touch to get a demo of the platform, uh, which holds a lot more information than what you'll see on that public-facing site. Just hit the demo button at the top right corner, and then then, then you'll take it to uh, some of my colleagues. Awesome, Eric. Um, it's been a pleasure having you. Any last words you have for the industry, the market? <laughs> Or our listeners. No, I look forward to I look forward to seeing uh, seeing you guys in Copenhagen. Uh, so look forward to uh, discussions there on uh, on these topics. I know uh, uh, 
uh, Monjosa is going to be there and, and Platz is going to be there. So uh, with Monjosa having invested in in a future supply of green ammonia, uh, which is uh, industry first as, as far as I see, as I've seen, uh, that'll be interesting to ask them some questions about how they um, how they expect to 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 be able to supply that as a fuel in in, in Portugal on the world. Awesome, Eric. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and look forward to having you again in the future. Thank you very much, Mo. Next up, we've got Hao Pei, uh, who's here to talk to us about the Ferris Complex. Uh, hey, Hao, how are you doing? Hi, Mo. So tell us, uh, what's the main driver for the iron ore spike? For multiple reasons, but the point is all factors likely to happen during the same week, which finally caused this huge movement. First of all, Western uh, Australia cyclones in early February delayed the arrivals of iron ore on late February, while steel mills in China just started to increase procurement from last week, the supply became naturally short on fundamental side. In addition, China launched a pilot program to structure PE investments in form of funds to promote property market and infrastructure projects. And just out, house sales of China improved significantly in January, which was out of expectation because analysts expected a negative growth but realized a positive number in tier 1 and tier 2 cities. And Turkish government urged local mills to provide as much as 4 million metric tons of riba to rebuild earthquake impact areas, which would hike current utilization to extreme level if without import. Is there any risk behind this uh, growth over uh, the past few months? I think there are many risks over uh, or on the behind of this huge spike. Um, it's foreseeable. The risk is the round of rebound lasts for four months already and the average single direction train for iron ore would last three months and three months and a half. The biggest movement for iron ore last uh, for one direction lasts for five months. So we are already on this direction for four months already, which means we have a month or so to see a potential change on this market. And the house sector equities doesn't look so popular on the market, in particular, uh, uh, in particular in the securities market. And the fact is, it spiked for two or three trading days and started to cool today. And um, many market participants are concerning the policy control. For example, the DC sent trade warning last Friday. So they think they're worried about continuous control from different departments of China. And what's, what's the impact of this PE uh, investment package on housing companies in China? For this investment, the government are targeting institutional investors in early stage, but didn't review too much on the timing to start and format of cooperation 
and this is considered as a stage two or stage three strategy following the previous financial support to house developers with cash crisis last year. Many investors indicated that they trust government and the gov uh, and market participants could revive the property sector. While some economists mentioned that the pandemic and financing restriction restriction had reduced the ratio of house sales amount versus total GDP from roughly 15% to 10% significantly in 2021 and 2022. In long run, urbanization rate reached a turning point in China, as well as negative population growth rate, would both reduce investment preference on housing sectors. And moreover, the individual savings created a consecutive increase from 2013 to 2022, while at the same time, consumer spending growth rate maintained downward trend during the same period. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Mo. That's it for the week, folks. If you want to stay up to date with everything happening in freight and commodity space, remember to sign up for our app FIS Live or follow us on Twitter at Freight Investor or find us on LinkedIn. And if you'd like to give any feedback or suggestions, email us at news at freightinvestor.com. You've been hearing from Mo. Have a great week.